So we are doing a series through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, I just want to explain how this is going to work uh, for the next few months. Basically, the same sermon topic is going to be preached at all of our congregations. So what, I'm, what is preached here uh, at 8 and 10 will next Sunday be preached at Musenberg in the morning and at the evening service. So I know there's some of you very godly people that go to more than one service uh, on a Sunday, but you may want to note that in the series, that's how things are going to be going. Uh, so you just need to make sure you coordinate which service that, that you're going to. Uh, and if you want to hear the message twice, well, then you know what to do. So today we're uh, looking at verses 17 onwards in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is going to be a very complicated sermon. So I hope you've had a cup of coffee and that you are firing on all cylinders because this is going to, to tax you this morning. We're talking about the Old Testament law and the role of the Old Testament law in our lives today as Christians. Now, back in the day when Jesus walked this earth, the Jews at the time referred to the Old Testament as the law and the prophets and the writings. And sometimes they would just say, the law and the prophets. And the, the, the rabbis debated with each other exactly how many laws there were in the Old Testament, and eventually they came to the number of 613. So there were 77 positive commands, thou shalt. There were 194 negative commands, thou shalt not. Uh, some of the commands, 26, you could only fulfill if you were in Israel. Some were just for men or for women, and some in the bottom category of the commands were for people that had a special status, for example, the priests, the Levites, whoever you might be. So there are many laws, 613 in all. And you will probably think that, well, the laws of God began with the Ten Commandments, you know, Moses comes down the mountain with the tablets of stone uh, after the exodus, after God's rescued the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. But that's not the case. Um, there, were, there were laws before the Ten Commandments were given. There were laws before Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Exodus were written. Adam and Eve had a law to live by in the Garden of Eden, did they not? They just had one law to live by. Don't eat from that tree. When Cain killed Abel and committed murder, he was breaking a law. He knew it, but that was before the Ten Commandments. Laws in the Old Testament governed every aspect of life. There were cultural laws. This is how you ought to cut your hair. This is how you're to wear your clothes. There was criminal law. There was social law. There were laws governing your sexuality. There was moral law. There was ceremonial law. And one can ask yourself, well, what was the purpose of all of these laws, all 613 of them? Well, they, they showed the people how God wanted them to live. 
Clearly, that's why God gave laws. God says to people, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. This is God revealing His will for how He wants us to live. So that's clearly a purpose of the law. But the law, particularly the ceremonial law, also served as teaching aids. All that stuff about wash the cup this way, use this vessel for that, this is pure, that's not. When you do this, you're impure. When you do that, you're not. This was all God's way of embedding in the hearts of his people an understanding of what is right, what is pure, what is good, etc. So the law was, was teaching aids. We all know the Passover feast. It was to teach the people about when the angel of death passed over. There were laws there for the health and welfare of the people. They were told what to eat. Uh, there were humanitarian laws. Don't, don't treat animals badly, etc. There were building regulations, believe it or not. Uh, almost as stringent as the building regulations we have today. But if you built a house, you didn't have to have a, a, a solar panel, but you did need a, a parapet around the roof of your house. So there were even laws governing building. There were laws to create a just society, laws about slavery, about what to do with people who were in debt. The Jubilee Law required the forgiving of debts, the restoration of land if people had lost their farm because they'd fallen into debt. There were, there were laws for success in life, the most important being you need to have one full day of rest a week. There were laws for success in farming. If you're growing crops, make sure that for one year, every seven, you let that field lie fallow. And there were laws for the psychological well-being of God's people. Who can think of a law that's designed specifically for our psychological well-being? Think of the Ten Commandments, the very last one, thou shalt not covet. What's the purpose of that law? It's to make you happy. And there were laws that strengthened group identity. A little bit like Muslims in our day fasting over Ramadan. It makes them feel like they're part of a group. This is who we are. Everybody take note. It was like that in the Old Testament for God's people as well. They cut their hair a specific way. They dressed a specific way. They ate specific food. It was all about being unique as a people and different from the other nations. And there were laws to resolve conflict among people. My neighbor's doing this. What must I do about it? There were laws for that. And you couldn't move your boundary stone and do all tricks like that either. Laws governing restitution. And then, of course, there were things that the Bible didn't have laws about. So the Pharisees felt, well, we need some extra laws. So they also made up laws. There was also the situation that if God's law said you mustn't go within five meters of something, the Pharisees would say, well, let's make another law. You mustn't go within 10 meters just to be safe. So there were laws added to laws to make sure you could never break the actual law because, hey, you, you'd be careful not to break and further down the line. So there were, there were laws about all sorts of interesting things. I was very surprised when I went to Jerusalem and had the opportunity to go onto the Temple Mount. 
and there was a big metal detector, you know, one of those things that you walk through, and uh, there was a huge sign there, you couldn't miss it, uh, a, a declaration by the chief rabbi in Jerusalem declaring that you did not break the Sabbath by walking through the metal detector. You get special Jewish switches that when you flick them on and off, they're designed in such a way that a circuit doesn't break, so you're not technically performing work. As you can see, these things get very technical. So there were all these laws and rules and regulations that people live by. Then there were all the laws about the feasts, all the laws around the sacrificial system. And of course the law, there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And at the time of Jesus, there was a whole class of people, scribes and Pharisees, and their sole job in life was to obey God's law and to disseminate God's law and to explain God's law. They were professional law keepers, and they made everybody know, everybody know uh, just how well they were doing. So that's a little bit of background to Jewish law. And given this background, we're going to read our passage today. Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means depart from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others, others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. How are you doing for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. As you can see, this is a very difficult passage to, to interpret. And I've really struggled to make sense of this because it, it seems as though Jesus is upholding the law and he's saying this, these laws are forever and don't you dare mess with them. He seems to be saying that. He says not one jot or tittle will fall away from the law. In the Hebrew language, a jot and a tittle, a jot's like dotting an I, and a tittle is like a stroke that would turn a P from an, to an R. The tiniest strokes. None of that will depart from the law, says Jesus, until everything is fulfilled. Are you feeling the tension? I'm trying to create a bit of tension here. Surely Jesus is not saying that all of us need to obey all 613 laws. He says in verse 19, Woe to anyone who breaks even the smallest commandment of the Old Testament and teaches other people to do the same. 
Those laws must certainly include a kosher diet, the practice of circumcision for males, the sacrificial system, surely not. So what, what is the solution to this problem of Jesus appearing to say one thing in the Sermon on the Mount and then the rest of the New Testament that says we don't have to obey Jewish law? What are some solutions? Well, I've got a few for you. The first solution is to say, well, it's recorded incorrectly. Matthew's hearing aid wasn't working on the day, and uh, Jesus said you don't have to obey all the laws, not one jot and tittle, and then uh, he thinks Jesus said, no, you do have to obey all the laws. But, so there are many people that maybe would think that, but for those of us that believe in the inspiration of the New Testament, that's an unacceptable solution. You know, I don't think the Bible can be that wrong I don't think it can be wrong at all. Another solution is to say, well, Jesus was just talking to the Jews, you know. So it was before the cross. These were God's people. They were Jewish people. They were living under God's covenant. And so Jesus comes in and says, that's the way to do it, folks. We need to stick with the Old Testament law. So it's, it's only aimed at a small group of people. But that can't be the case because Jesus says this is for everybody. And if anybody tells you you don't have to obey the law, and this is forever until heaven and earth pass away, which when I last looked out the window had not happened. Some people have said this is just the moral law that's being spoken about. You know, the laws that Christians readily keep. Uh, but the Bible doesn't actually divide up the law of the Old Testament into moral laws, ceremonial laws, civic laws. It's just the law. And Jesus sort of says, well, any of the law, if you mess with any of it, don't do that. Could it just be the Ten Commandments it's Jesus being referred to here? No, well, even then, we don't keep the Sabbath to the same extent that the Jewish people did. Then there are those believers who will say, yes, we do have to keep the law of the Old Testament. It's not how we are saved. We're saved by grace, but we must keep the law nevertheless because that shows God that we're honoring him and taking his word seriously. The Seventh-day Adventists, apart from what they believe about the Advent, certainly believe that the Seventh-day Sabbath is the day for worship and rest, and that's Friday, Friday evening to Saturday afternoon. So most Christians around the world today are not obeying even the Ten Commandments, literally. I've already explained what a jot and a tittle is. So are Christians still obligated to obey the Old Testament law? Uh, and then there's Jesus saying in verse 20 that, that your righteous needs, righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Can you imagine what the people must have thought hearing the sermon? Wow! You know, these people that are professional Jewish people keeping the law, um, they were so into keeping the law that... One of the Old Testament laws involved tithing. When you had a harvest from your crop, you needed to bring the first fruits. The, a tenth of your crop was brought to the temple and given to the priest. 
That's the Old Testament law of tithing. And the, the Pharisees were so keen to obey God's law that if in their herb garden um, they had a mint plant and they it accidentally grew there and then they used some for their cooking, they would make sure they would work out 10% of my harvest of mint. You know, something you could fit in your fingers. And then 10% of that, let's count the grains. And that would get taken to the temple as part of their harvest and produce. Because they wanted to honor God and obey the law to the nth degree. And oddly, Jesus refers to this practice. You Pharisees, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. And then we would expect Jesus to say, you don't have to worry about tithing your mint. But he doesn't. He says, you should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former. So do Christians have to obey the Jewish law. At a superficial reading, it would appear that Jesus is completely in favor of, of law-keeping. Now, what complicates matters further is that when the church first began on the day of Pentecost, pretty much everybody was Jewish. So that made life very easy because we were now Jewish followers of the Messiah but we carried on being Jewish because that was our culture. We carried on eating the food we ate. We carried on doing the Sabbath. We carried on with circumcision. They even carried on going to the temple. Um, so these were now Jewish believers. The problem came in the church when the gospel went further. And now the church consists of more Gentiles than Jews. And now you've got people saying, well, we like pork chops. And no, at the ripe old age of 50, I don't feel like being circumcised. And, and, and so things were going on and on and on. And there was a rejection of Jewish law by people. And, and this created a lot of tension in the church. And all the church leaders had to get together. And, and discuss this problem. And we read about that in Acts chapter 15. Some men came down from Judah, and they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. So in the church, people were beginning to say, hey, you're not circumcised. Well, you're not going to be saved because you need to obey God's law. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into dispute. And so they set up this meeting. Some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. That's very interesting. Believers who are, who are Pharisees. These are Pharisees who become followers of Jesus. People like Joseph of Arimathea and others. The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met to discuss this question. And the answer is that why, verse 10, are we 
putting God to the test by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers could bear. These Jewish believers, apostles, are saying, why are we trying to force these new Gentile Christians to obey all of the Jewish law when we ourselves found a yoke too hard to bear? No, verse 11, bottom of the page, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. So the early Christians came to the conclusion You do not have to obey the Jewish law to be a follower of Jesus. So there is this tension, I hope you feel it, between Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. Oh yes, you do, I've come to uphold the law. Not one jot or tittle can you change. With, we're free, we're we're free from the law. Even Paul had a crisis of belief. Yeah, the Apostle Paul. After being an apostle for 14 years of preaching and ministering, he suddenly thought, maybe I've misunderstood the gospel. Maybe these Gentiles do need to obey the Jewish law. So he goes to meet with the bigwigs. Middle of the page. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. And this was the issue if you read the context. And the answer he receives from these leaders is verse 15. These are Jewish Christians. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, we know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus. We have put our faith in Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Paul teaches in Romans that we've been set free from the law. The book of Hebrews teaches that the old covenant is obsolete, that a new covenant has come, a better covenant. So the New Testament and 2,000 years of Christian teaching and tradition is crystal clear that as believers we do not have to obey the Jewish law, all 613 laws of it. So what are we to make of Jesus' statement here in Matthew 5? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill. Abolished is a key word here. It means to loosen, to to break down. It was used of the destruction of the temple, that, that Greek word. It means in terms of law, to invalidate. Jesus is saying, I've not come here to, to invalidate the law. His hearers would have thought, oh, that's wonderful. He's a devout Jew. He's one of us. He believes in the law. Yes, Jesus. But then Jesus goes on, and this is the key word, where he says, I've come to fulfill the law. He also doesn't say, I've just come to fulfill the law. He says, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. 
He also doesn't say, I've not come to abolish the law, I've come to obey the law, to do the law. He doesn't say that. Jesus says, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And the word fulfill is, is, is key here to understanding this passage. Jesus here affirms the value of the Old Testament law. I get very disturbed when I hear Christians speaking dismissively of the Old Testament, its precepts, its laws. That's not the attitude Jesus had. He loved the Word. Even Paul, in, as a Christian, wrote in Romans 7, the law is holy, the commandments is holy, righteous, and good. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. As Christians, we should have a very positive attitude to, to God's laws. What does it mean that Jesus has fulfilled the law and the prophets? I've got a few suggestions. I think he's saying here that everything about the laws and the prophets, they all point to Jesus. And here's the culmination of everything that the law sought to do and to be. Remember when Jesus is on the Emmaus Road, on the day of his resurrection, he runs into some disciples. And verse 27 says, And beginning with Moses, that's the law, and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets in that they all point to him. Even those things that seem arbitrary to us point in some way to Jesus. Things about the feasts, things about the ceremonial law, they point to Jesus. That was the purpose of the law, to, to bring us to Jesus. Jesus also summarized the law. Someone said, what's the greatest law? And he said, it's to love God with all of your heart. But he didn't stop there. And he said, and it's to love your neighbor just as much as you love yourself. The law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So if you've got this thing right about loving God with all of your heart and loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself, all the other laws hang on these two things. Jesus fulfilled the law by bringing out the deeper meaning of the laws. For example, the Old Testament had a law against murder. It's in the Ten Commandments. Jesus ups and said, no, the, the real meaning of that law, <laughs> murder is just, just, just the worst case scenario. It's really about hatred and how you view other people. The law about adultery, Jesus said, well, the Old Testament law had this thing, don't commit adultery. But, but the law is really about lust and desiring what you can't have. So Jesus fulfilled the law by bringing out its true meaning. Instead of worrying about going in a through a metal detector, you should be worrying about what's going on in your heart. When it comes to, to oaths, 
The Old Testament had laws about how to give oaths and whatever. Jesus is saying, no, rather just be a person of integrity and, and honesty. If I could use a, an example from, from running, you'll like this, Greg. The Old Testament was like, you must do a half marathon. Jesus comes along and says, no, we're changing everything. You must run a marathon. So, so he did change the law, but he changed it in such a way that if you're doing what he's telling you to do, then you're doing the, the Old Testament law. Because if you're running the 42, at some point you hit the 21 mark, we hope. That's if you're not cheating. I hope you're all signed up for the night run, by the way, the nurse run. Think about this. Which is easier to do? To keep all of the 613 laws of the Old Testament or to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself? I would go for the 613 laws any day because that is a whole lot easier. That's the soft option. So when Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it, he's saying... I'm not doing away with the Old Testament law, its true intention, what it was really about. I'm coming to add to it. We're taking it up a level. August, Augustine of Hippo, who lived around 400 AD, great Christian theologian, profound influence on the church. He said Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets in six ways. He obeyed the law personally. He fulfilled all of the predictions about the Messiah. He empowered his people to obey it. He brought out the true meaning of the law. It's not about murder, it's about hatred. He explained the true meaning behind the rituals and ceremonies. He is the Passover lamb. And he gave additional commands that furthered the true intention of the law. Let me just jump to the message. I've got a few paraphrases, but this is a good one. Here's Eugene Peterson on these verses. This is the sense of what he believes Jesus is saying. Don't suppose for a minute I've come to demolish the scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. I'm not here to demolish, but to complete. I'm going to put it all together, put it all together in a vast panorama. God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky and the ground at your feet. Long after stars burn out and earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. Trivialize even the smallest item in God's law and you will have trivialized yourself. But take it seriously. Show the way for others and you will find honor in the kingdom. That's the, the sense of what Jesus is saying here. As Christians, we need to recognize the beauty and the goodness of the Old Testament laws, whilst at the same time recognizing we're not under jurisdiction of those laws. In Romans 7, Paul explains that some laws apply to some people, other laws apply to other people. 
If you filled in your tax return lately, you will know that if you're over 65, this applies to you. If you're not yet, that applies to you. Some laws have relevance for some people, other laws don't. It says nothing about the rightness or wrongness of the law. When it comes to being a Christian, we need to affirm that God's laws are good, that they are great, they are of God, they are to be honored and respected. But at the same time, we can recognize we're not under the jurisdiction of those laws anymore. And Paul explains it all here in Romans 7. In Galatians 3, says, Paul writes, what is the purpose of the law? And then he answers his own question. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Paul writes in Galatians, don't let yourselves be burdened by this yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. There are two ways to be saved in this world. You can do it the 613 law way, but if you just break one, you're out. And as Jesus pointed out, everybody's out. <laughs> you can either go the law route or you can go the, the Jesus route. And that's why Paul says, mark my words. If you try go the law route, Jesus is of no value to you. Every man who lets himself be circumcised is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Let's close on a good note. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And everybody knew just how righteous and good at law-keeping the Pharisees all were. And if that wasn't good enough, Jesus says this a little later on. Be perfect! as your heavenly Father is perfect. What are we to make of this? There is a new way for us to have righteousness, and I close with something Paul writes in Romans 3. And I know this has been a technical sermon, but it's been a technical subject. I close with these words from Paul. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came in Christ. 
Are we under less obligation now than the people of the Old Testament or more? We're actually under greater obligation to love the Lord our God with all our heart, to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. And if in God's power we aim to do these two things, we'll be aiming for the right thing. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for the death of Jesus on the cross, who who also in his life here on earth was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Everything that the Old Testament was about, in Jesus it came to fruition. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for fulfilling the law on our behalf, for being our sacrifice, And thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that you help us to to live in a way that pleases you, Lord. Help us to understand the Sermon on the Mount, to have the right attitude to the Jewish laws and to understand our obligations today. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.